be reading today out of Daniel chapter 5, and I'm going to start with verse 1, and if you have your Bibles, open up to Daniel chapter 5, and we will go into verse 1. I'm going to take you on a journey through the fifth chapter of Daniel today. Uh, to remind you, if you were here last week, I took you on a journey through Daniel chapters 2 and 3, and now we're going to be picking up in what was actually several decades from the last text that I read you. In Daniel chapter one, Daniel starts off as a youth. He's brought as an, uh, into exile as a prisoner into a territory known as Babylon. Babylon is not a Jewish environment. As a matter of fact, they are worshiping false gods all over the place. And as a youth, him and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because you would know them as their Babylonian names, they begin to uh, immediately start functioning inside of this Babylonian culture in such a way that is countercultural because they've made their mind up that they are going to be in Babylon, but not of Babylon. Matter of fact, they made their mind up that the water around them is not going to get inside the boat. How many of you know that no sink, no ship sinks because of the water around it? It sinks because of the water inside of it. Like, it's all right to have Instagram as long as you're following the right things and don't let that water come into the window of your souls. It, nothing wrong with TikTok as long as the algorithm is righteous. There's nothing wrong with working as a secular teacher. As a matter of fact, I'd love to see more Christians in public schools being a light in the darkness. The problem occurs when, when the water gets inside of the boat. And so these Babylonians are living the way they want. They have Chaldeans and they have enchanters and occultists that summon up the gods, plural, with a lowercase g. And they're incredibly inaccurate. And chapters one, two, three, and four, you basically see them failing repeatedly to give an accurate word. I will tell you this, uh, a psychic might be right sometimes. <laughs> I'll tell you, your horoscope might be right sometimes, but I'm not so interested in the, the horoscopes by man, but I'm more interested in the future that was secured by God Almighty and what he has to say. Matter of fact, if you've received the lie that life is about you, then that's extremely exhausting, but I actually have grafted my life into his story and say, God, may they only remember your words through me. May your face shine through my face. May, may your words happen, come on through my mouth and your works through my hands. And, and so what you see in Daniel chapter one is these four, Bab or these four Jewish youths in Babylon. And we're going to take a look at chapter five because now Daniel is in his 80s. So now he's in his 80s and he has seen kings and rulers. They've risen and fallen and he has survived all these Babylonian rulers and how many of you know that God says in his word that he will even put up evil rulers, that nobody is allowed to be in leadership lest God allows them? Do you know this? And so even the rulers that you don't like and I don't like can still serve a profound function from God because God will use it. Matter of fact, when you look at the story of the exodus of Israel out of slavery into the wilderness, it's, this says something that I don't hear often preached from pulpits, but it says that in God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God did it. 
What if I told you it wasn't about Pharaoh, it was about Moses and the children of Israel? And sometimes God will harden someone's heart because he's trying to deliver you and draw you up. What if I told you that that you may not have had the parent that you wanted, but what if I told you that the hardness of your dad's heart drove you to your heavenly father? You may not have the boss that you like on the job, but what if I said that boss is making you better because their attitude is provoking in you patience and kindness and gentleness and meekness. And for those of you who just got saved, those are the fruits of the spirit. What if I told you that the people in leadership you don't like are actually helping you become more like Jesus Christ? So God will use a bad leader too. And so you have Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel in a Babylonian uh, exile. They're prisoners. Uh, Most likely they were castrated. And if you don't know what that is, please don't look it up. But Babylonian societies, it's the same spirit. It's the same demon with a rebrand will always attempt to emasculate men. And so when you look at Daniel chapter one, and I'm telling you guys the word, last week I preached a sermon, and um, I, I don't know if you notice, and I'm not throwing any shade from the stage, but uh, our, the entire overflow section left during last week's sermon. Uh, I'm not so interested in growing this church because uh, the world measures, but God weighs. Who I feel the anointing. I'm going to show you a Babylonian leader that God actually weighed him. And it says it in the word. It says he, it says weighed him. And so I don't know what the title of this sermon is. I was going back and forth. There's so many potential titles. Maybe if we're talking in a series called fast food, I would say, what's your weight? Because God weighs, God weighs. What do I mean by that, Pastor? I didn't say there's 50-person churches that weigh more than a 50,000-person church that's playing games. There's 100-person churches that weigh more than a 1,000-person church that has compromised the fundamentals of the faith and the doctrines that are in this book. And I'll tell you, it was a prophetic sermon last week because there was a renowned professor in the U.K., that actually, that was at a Christian university. I don't know if you follow England and the politics of England, but the Church of England has just compromised on the issue of LGBTQ+. And a a professor uh, tweeted about what the Bible has to say on that issue and was fired from his job and made international news just days after I preached the sermon I preached last week. And so I'm willing to lose an entire overflow to to actually make sure that we weigh more in the spirit. We may measure less, but weigh more here on Long Island. I don't have time to get into it now, but you know, when you look at the statistics over time of how many people identified with LGBTQ+, it has significantly increased in the last generation. Why? How is that scientifically possible that in blind studies where people's uh, privacy was secured, when you go back two generations, the last generation and this one, there's a significant increase? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there is an agenda by Babylonian spirits, and I don't care if you cancel me for saying this, demonic entities that form networks called television networks. (laughs) What do you think the internet is? It's a network. 
What do you think television is as a network? And they push this in our faces and we get inundated with these ideas. We get inundated with visuals and unfortunately human beings become what they repeatedly see. And that's why when I took you through the chapter two last week, they were forced. They said, when the music starts playing, you have to look at the image and you have to bow before the image because we will always become what we see. I, I, I dare if I bring any one of these worship team members up there and ask them, who are your influence? It was people you watch perform the drums, people you watch perform. There's something about an emulation. We are made to mirror. In your brain are mirror neurons. Do you know that you're made to emulate? And so when you put an image of sexual perversion, you will emulate the image because you are designed. See, here's why did God walk with Adam and Eve in the garden? Because he, they, they were able to see him, and because they saw the image of their maker, they were being molded into that image. Why do you think that Moses said, God, show me your ways. I want to see your glory is because he was saying, watch this. Moses is at the top of the mountain saying, God, I want to see you. And Aaron and the people were at the bottom of the mountain saying, I want to see the golden calf. There's always an image to actually mold yourself. What are you looking at? And so last week, some people walked out. I will tell you this, a percentage of them in the years to come will come back. Because when you've had your taste, when you've got out there as a prodigal and you've rolled around in the pig's pen long enough, a pig's pen called polyamorous relationships, a pig's pen called LGBTQ+, a pig's pen called masturbation, pornography, a pig's pen, I'm preaching it from my pulpit. Come on, somebody. A pig's pen. Once you've wallered in the filth long enough, I'm waiting with a ring and a robe and we're going to throw a party when you come back to say I'm done spending my inheritance from the father I want to do it his way come on somebody when you've had enough of the pig's pen of vaping THC alcohol nicotine come on opiates when you're done with the pig's pen I'll be waiting with a ring and a rope and we're not going to make anybody feel bad about coming back to everybody who left last week, we left the back porch light on for you. And when you're ready to come home to dad's house, you come home because God designed you a certain way and I am going to uphold his word. And though none may follow, yet I will follow. This is not my opinion. This is God's thoughts migrated through the hand of man through scripture. Come on, somebody. And this is why, because somebody's like, I thought this was a series about fasting. It is. I haven't even gotten to the text yet. But let me tell you why this is a, a, a passage about this whole series about fasting. Because I was thinking the other day about all the things we do for dopamine. And I was thinking, like, how is somebody who works out for dopamine no better than somebody who eats out for dopamine? See, if you, I'm going to read you chapter five and we'll jump back in. Many years later, King Belshazzar, Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles and he drank wine, drank wine with them. Come on, was it Cabernet? Come on, what was it? Was it red, Jules? Was it white? Come on, what'd you used to drink? What'd you used to drink, girl? <laughs> she said seltzer the devil is a liar 
Come on. <laughs> she ain't going to get real yet, y'all. You better be up at this altar, girl. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups from his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Same demon, different dynasty. <laughs> so Nebuchadnezzar had treasures. Now, when you find out what these were, he had taken them from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, plural. And his concubines. How many concubines do you have, Playa? How many digital concubines do you have? Come on, same demon, different dynasty. Y'all, I'm coming for you today. <laughs> so they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And while they drank from them, they praised their idols, plural, made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Let me just say, the okay, when Jerusalem was conquered, this Babylonian empire had stored up all these treasures and these treasures were from the temple of God. These were things that would have been used in sacrificial system. And what, and so he thought while he was drinking and having this big lavish party, I'm going to invite them to bring all those items and we're going to drink out of them. How many of you know that, that demons love to always mock sacred and, pro, and holy things? So devil, like demons love to take the name of God in vain. Demons love to mock and ridicule. So this is a mocking spirit that says, let's take the sacred things of God and let's combine them. Let's combine. I don't, some of you are getting the revelation. Go take the cups that are made of gold that we that they that the other culture used to use in the temple worship to the to God Jehovah the Hebrew God and let's pour our wine and all of the wives and concubines and we're going to all drink this together and we're going to make a mockery of the Hebrew God let's take the sacred covenant of marriage that was established by God in the garden and let's use pastors and preachers and even buildings across the street from the one we're in now to take something that God hates and bring it in to the religious institution. Let's combine it. Let's compromise it. Let's make it okay to do something God rejected and let's see it's a mockery and the origin of it has always been demonic. Let's take, let's take drunkenness which is strictly prohibited in scripture. Now, if you can drink and not get drunk, go for it. You could have a Christian liberty. I just know after all these generations, very few people who don't have a predisposition towards some sort of foolishness. So you take something that God forbids and you say, well, I only did it once. I only did it twice. I only did it three times. I'm only doing it every night. I'm only doing it two times a day. I'm only doing it three times a day. I'm only, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted. And see, what there is is the, this combining together of the sacred, sacred and the profane. 
and you see, you see the spirit. And it was, and he even says, my father, Nebuchadnezzar, who was not his true father. So you see, there's a lineage of adoption. How many of you know the devil will adopt you too? Beware what groups accept you. Beware what communities entice you because the devil is in the blessing business too. And he'll take somebody that's already confused about their sexual identity and have them embraced by a whole bunch of other confused suicidal people as well. He'll take a whole bunch of addicts. Some people say, I feel more accepted at a bar than I do at a church. Of course you do because you have the same father and it's not God. You've been adopted by a community that makes you feel better, but it always feels good in the short term. The thing about destruction, and this is how the enemy entices people, is it always feels good in the short term. That's how he operates. It always feels good in the short term. And so they're, they're having a feel-good experience. Look at us. We're turning up. We're drinking. Look at us. Woo! Can't nobody touch us. We're a fortified city. We've defeated everybody around. Hey, go. Hey, you know what would be crazy? Go get those golden, you know, the treasure and bring it, you know, from the temple that was in Jerusalem. And as soon as they begin to mix those things, the judgment of God is called out upon them. Now, what? look, suddenly... They saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. So prophetic. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. Another translation says his loins loosened. We'll not get into detail about that. Isn't it so funny how the place that he had put the most emphasis is the place that weakened in the presence of God? Wives and concubines. Oh, this guy's sleeping with everybody. When the finger of God shows up, the Bible says his loins loose and he begins to shake and tremble at the knees, which means when God shows up, he's always going to target the place of perversion and give you an opportunity. He's always gonna give you an opportunity. That's what this is about. And the way that I preach is to help you understand, I am not trying to take your, your pleasure. I'm trying to replace it with the true pleasure, which is delighting yourself in God, delighting yourself in him. I'm trying to, see, God never removes without replacing. And so there is no intention by God to remove your sexuality. It's to restore your sexuality. There's no intention of God to remove drunkenness, but to replace it with being drunk in the spirit, which is, come on, getting high with the most high. He always replaces. So at the very moment that the finger of God begins to write on this wall, the Bible says that Belshazzar's loins loosen. In other words, the glory of God is moving into that place and it's confronting the very place of bondage. Oh, stay with me because I'm going to tie the New Testament and the new covenant into this and it's going to blow your mind. He says, the king shouted, I'm in verse seven. The king shouted for the enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers to be brought before him. And he said to these wise men in Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So here's what happens. Sexual perversion, drunkenness, Then there's a mystery from God. 
And then we pull out the astrologers, those with horoscopes and supernatural abilities not connected to the Hebrew God. How is this any different than what's happening today? You got a generation of people addicted to all kinds of sexual perversion, addicted to nicotine, THC, and alcohol. And then when they reach the limitation of it and cannot understand the mysteries of life, instead of going to the author of life, they go to the astrologers. They're still doing it today. They go to the witches and the warlocks. They go to the occultists to try to get an answer. And you got people on Long Island that will be mad at you for given $50 in the offering, but they just gave $150 to a psychic medium. Come on, somebody. It's revealing an infrastructure. It's pointing to something insidious and evil and demonic and nefarious behind the scenes. It's the same spirit with the rebrand. It's the same system. He's rolling out the same play. The devil wins the championship against humanity with the same playbook in every generation. It's the same play. He even tried it on Jesus. He took Jesus up to the mountaintop, said, Jesus, I can give you all this. He's always offering a lesser destiny than what God has. Because I'll tell you what, 15 Women can't replace one wife. See, it's always a blessing that's less than God's best. And so God, he'll convince you that freedom in your sexuality is doing whatever you want with your sexuality. But see, there's a deeper thing. Freedom, it's, I'm telling you, there's some message in here. Let me unpack this mystery. Let's jump back in. So the, of course, the enchanters can't get the job done. We've even had presidents here in the United States that actually consult psychics. Did you know that? Did you know that the supernatural is at play even within the highest realms of government? I have a friend named Darren Canning. Darren Canning is, and you can look him up, he's an Ivy League-educated mathematician, he, and he's a Canadian. He was elevated to the highest levels of Canadian government, and he was an atheist. He said, when I watch them do satanic worship and demonic rituals within the Canadian government at the highest level, that's when I stop being an atheist. Go look him up. It's an incredible story. This is not a conspiracy theory because Jesus says you are either son of Satan or a son of God. Right now, there's an artist named Black China. I don't know if you found out, but she just accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She just got baptized, posted a video saying, you can see multiple demons coming out of me during my baptism and is going and systematically removing all the plastic surgery from her body because she said that was a demonic image that was presenting to me about who I should be, but I want to look like God wants me to look. I want to act like how God wants me. So here's the thing. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. It is God versus Satan. It's demons versus angels and you are caught in the middle of it and there is a war over your soul and there is no such thing as partially free it's free indeed either you want to come all the way to this side or you want to stay in bondage and I'm trying to preach you to the other side you're going to take some heat and that's why I love Daniel because let me show you this. This is so crazy. When you go back, now this is Daniel chapter five. Hold the narrative there. I'm almost done. 
But when you go back to Daniel chapter one, this is who he was as a youth. He tells the leader that was over him, the, the leader of the eunuchs. So he's already been castrated along with his friends, emasculated. And now they're feeding the king's meat. They're feeding the most choice meals that you can have to try to strengthen them so that they can serve Babylon as captives. And what he says is this, test, everybody say test. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths that who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. There's another image. We're not going to eat meat and all these choice foods. We're only going to eat vegetables and check back in 10 days and tell me what you see because there's another image I'm being molded after and it's not the image of Nebuchadnezzar. It's the image of God. All of a sudden, at the end of 10 days, this is verse 15, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave everybody vegetables. What does this mean? Life, hear me when I say this to my daughter, Bella, who's figuring out how to navigate the complexities of a world that wants to destroy her purpose at every twist and turn. Hear me out, lead generation, those who think that you're retired and you're gonna peaceably live your life until you see your last day. Life is more than chemicals in your brain. It's more than the dopamine you, you hit you get at your favorite bagel shop when you bite into that shmia. It's, it's more... Then the, it's more than the adrenaline rush from doing sprints. It's more than sex with your mate. Your, your life is more than chemicals. There's a spiritual existence. And when Daniel refused the dopamine, and he said, I'm just gonna eat roughage, the things that just pass through your body that don't bring any pleasure to the taste buds, what he was saying is, my life is more than chemical reactions in my brain. My life is a spirit-led life, and I serve a God who is spirit, omnipotent, omniscient, all power, all might, but he is more, he is not relegated to chemical experiences. And he began to push the plate away. When you fast, when you push the pornography aside, when you push the THC, nicotine, alcohol, and opiates aside, when you push aside the vain, useless conversations, because the Bible says we'll give account for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. When you begin to live the fasted life, what you're actually saying is, I believe that my life is more than a chemical experience. I believe that I am more than a physical body. And I am being molded after the image of the unseen. And that requires faith. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. And it's the substance of things you cannot see. I can't see God, but I, in the spirit, I want to be molded after the image of who he is. I, I can't see, but I, in, by faith, I can access the attributes of God. And I want to become more like him. And the version of what I experience in prayer is more potent than the version of what I experience in perversion. 
And so you see this as Daniel was a child or youth. Now he gets older. Now I've taken you to chapter five as I come to a close. And he is now, he is now 80. Some scholars say 82. Some say in their late 80s. But we know he's in his 80s. And now there's another king. He's been through all these rulers. And now the finger of God writes and not one person can interpret it from the realm of the enchanters and the occultist. And then this is what they say. Oh, I love this. But the queen mother heard what was happening and she begins to walk in and she says, there is a man in your kingdom who has within them the spirit of the holy gods. See, they don't even have a language to explain the success on Daniel's life. They're talking like heathens. During King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight and understanding and wisdom like that of the gods. See, they'll look at your life here on Long Island and they'll say, man, they must have a psychic ability. No, homie, it's prophetic. The Holy Spirit teaches me all things. They'll say, man, what's that success on your life? It's the kind of success that adds no sorrow. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. That verse, another translation says, Daniel has an excellent spirit. It means that word excellent, I looked it up in the Hebrew, it means extreme, and it also means extraordinary. God is looking for a people who are extreme in this generation. Look, the sinners are extremely sinful nowadays. They're flaunting it in your face, and they're advertising it as if it's right. But God is looking for righteous people to be extreme in these days. You have my permission as your pastor to be extreme in prayer to be extreme in deliverance. People say, not everything's a demon. Well, I'm going to find everything that is and cast it out. I want you to be extreme in healing. Oh, not every sickness can be healed. Why not? We're called to do greater things. You have my permission to be extreme. You have my permission to have an excellent spirit like Daniel. I skipped the chapter where he prayed three times a day and got thrown in the lion's den because he was extreme. He said, I'm going to pray three times a day because I know that my God, in matter of fact, he would face Jerusalem while he was praying. The holy city. He would face Jerusalem where the temple would have stood that would have actually housed the Shekinah glory of God. The manifest presence of God. And he would begin to pray in the direction of Jerusalem as a middle-aged man. And they threw him in the lines that I never saw this before, but you know what Daniel said? Daniel said this, throw me in the lion's den because I have found favor with my God and those lions will not consume me. I never saw it before. Daniel asked for the lion's den. Did you know that? Every way they tell the story, Daniel is forcibly thrown in the lion's den. That's not how it happened. Read it for yourself. Daniel says, throw me in the lion's den. I know where I stand with my God and these lions will not consume me. But then, when the wicked were thrown in the lion's den, it said, before they even reached the bottom of the pit, it was them and their wives and their children were completely consumed with lions. What is this a picture of? 
Now all of a sudden, this is what it says. Daniel says, okay, it's a test. He's asking for it. Who else asked for it? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, nobody crucified Jesus. He willfully gave his life up and said, put me to the test. I'm willing to pass. I have the approval of my father. His favor is upon my life. And Jesus even said in scriptures, and I was looking at this verse, it blew my mind. He said, that, he said in this verse, he said in John 16, 16, he said in a little while, you will no longer see me. And yet again, a little while after that, you will see me. He already knew his fate. He knew that the fight was fixed and he was saying, weigh me, go ahead and weigh me. You're not gonna see me for a little while, but in a little while, you'll see me again. And how many of you know, three days later, he came up out of that tomb. He came out of that grave and he said, remember I said, you'll see me again, here I am. Daniel said the same thing, throw me in the lion's den, which was a sign of death. And he says, for a little while, you won't see me but when you pull me up out of that lion's den, you will see me again. He's a messianic figure, a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ himself. And Daniel stands and says, I'm not gonna become Babylonian. I'm not gonna think like them, talk like them, walk like them, act like them, give like them, spend like them. I will live this life, a fasted life. Let's go back to the narrative as we close. What historians have discovered is that the walls around the king's, the king's temple were 17 miles of secured walls, 22 feet thick and 90 feet high. The gates were made of bronze, which would have secured it against fire and battering rams. So Belshazzar's confidence was in the wrong thing. Oh, who am I talking to? He's drinking wine out of the, 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 the gold elements from God's altar. And he's saying, look, nothing can happen to us. What he doesn't realize is that there are two armies surrounding him. And then when he finds out, all of a sudden he gets so confident in the walls, he gets so confident in the infrastructure he built that he continues to drink and continue to live like he's living. I'm afraid that in our generation, People have put too much confidence in their home, too much confidence in their health. We all have confidence in our health until you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a diagnosis without a cure. We put too much confidence in our job, but Pastor Mike, they love me. I've gotten so many promotions. It's always gonna be fixed. Don't put too much confidence in your job. As a Christian, your job is not your source. Your source should always be God Almighty, Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Do not. And what Daniel showed from a youth to an old man is he said, I don't have to eat this choice meat. You're not my source, he's my source. Matter of fact, going back to chapter five, when he says, if anybody can interpret this, I will give them a robe, I'll give them treasures. And you know what Daniel says? As an 80 year old man, he's looking at a new king and he survived all these kings and he looks at him and he says, keep your treasure. Because Daniel knew I already have heavenly treasure. I have, you can't give me anything. And this world is always trying to solicit you. It's always trying to offer you a false treasure. And he says, I don't want your treasure. And then this is what happens. 
Daniel had brought in before the king, the king asked him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought to Judah, my predecessor, King, uh, king Nebuchadnezzar? I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight and wisdom. And then he begins to go down. This is what he says. This is such an amazing story. He says, the writing says, God has numbered. Let's bring the music down. I'm speaking now prophetically. And I'm saying this to every demonic kingdom that's compromised believers, that set up infrastructure in New York City, Long Island, all of the regions that we have churches. And this is the words of Daniel. And I believe that these words are being echoed in 2023. The, the hand of God, the finger wrote, and the translation is God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. You have been weighed on the balances and you have not measured up. You told us that this is acceptable with our bodies. And now our bodies are broken, diseased. You told us that this was acceptable with our mind. And now we're anxiety ridden and full of panic and fear. See, this is what we've been fed lies. And these lies have accumulated in every generation. And I believe the finger of God is writing a message in this generation, not to humans. Remember, behind every person is a spirit. But I'm speaking to the spirits behind the people. And I'm saying, God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. You have been weighed on the balances and you have not measured up. And I say this with a pit in my stomach. I believe that this is getting spoken to pastors of churches who have tried to mix the holy and sacred God, things of God with the profane. And they've gotten drunk out of the chalice that used to be in Jerusalem's temple because they had so much security placed in a ministry that they thought the ministry would never come down. This word is being spoken to entrepreneurs who look at their bank account and they look at their profit and loss statements every month and they say, how possibly could this ever come down? I put my confidence in this thing. People who, have, who only eat from Whole Foods, who go on runs every day, who will put their confidence in their good choices. But there's a realm beyond good choices. It's the favor of God. It's the favor and the blessing of God. The Bible says that the favor of God produces long life. The Bible talks about these things differently. And I, 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 the reason why I preached so hard the last three, four, five weeks is because the Lord told me, he said, cut out the cancer at your campuses cut out the cancer in your campuses because it's not the water around you. It's the water that gets inside of you that will sink you. And you can spend so much time, but these are my friends, but I know their struggle and I empathize. Be very careful that your empathy does not turn into acceptance because the same people that other pastors said they'll never change. 
The same people that tried to tell me that they can't be healed have come into our church. They've been married for years now. They've come into our church. They've been healed with multiple medical verifications. They come into our church and they lay down drugs and paraphernalia. I just found out that there's an entire box full of drugs in my office right now that our team forgot to throw away. But at other churches, what? Listen, let's, let's. At other churches, they've been told to compromise and to say, hey, you're an addict. We empathize with you. And that empathy was interpreted as acceptance. Sometimes the most loving person is the one who says it's wrong. I, I, now listen, I did not stand before you for the last four weeks as a perfect person. The word that I preach always must do a work on me before it does a work on you. And Lord, begin to show me, where am I getting my dopamine? You know what I mean? Some of you don't smoke dope, but you get dopamine. You know what I'm saying? The Lord's been dealing with me on this. That's why Paul said, I'm the chief among sinners. I was the alcoholic. There's no difference between me being sexually deviant in heterosexuality than someone else in homosexuality. It's all sin to God. And so I did not preach these messages intentionally to be provocative. There are some pastors that have made a reputation of being provocative, and they like to push buttons. If you've been attending this church for the last six years, you know that that's not me. I have a father's heart. I deal with things in such a way that you feel love and compassion, but there's another form of love called discipline. And I think the world, when they say love, they mean anything goes. That's what the world says. The world, when they say love, they say, oh, come on, anything goes. No, love is me saying, that's not right. Just because you watched it on a screen for years, just because actors and actresses pretended like it was pleasurable, just because, you did, just because they decriminalize it in New York City, just because you can buy it from any place you want to buy it, just because the local delis will sell it to kids, and I've walked in there and confronted them and told them I'm going to help them get shut down. Doesn't make it right. And I've found that the most liberating message I've ever preached to people is the message of sin and salvation. Because salvation without the preaching on sin is no salvation at all. What are you being saved from? You're just, it's a feel-good experience, and that's why the video of me talking about people coming to church for a drug hit has gone viral on every platform, because what happens is we go to church, and we preach salvation without preaching sin, and everyone says, this makes me so feel so good to hear about how God loves me, but only a fatherless generation would produce churches like that, because I'm a real father, and I discipline my kids, and I don't do it out of anger. I do it out of love. Because I look at them and I say, hey, hey, what you did, I know it felt good, but in the long term, it's your destruction. And I'm saving you from a greater destruction. I want my kids to experience pleasure. I want my kids to experience the best in life. But the way that I compute it is by allowing them to taste some of the consequences. 
So what Daniel was doing in a Babylonian environment with an excellent spirit, and I feel the holiness of God over the last four weeks because God told me, cut out the cancer in your campuses, is I'm simply telling you there's two forms of consequences. There's temporary and there's permanent. The temporary consequences are, I feel so empty and alone. I have two friends that I pastor and shepherd who are former porn stars. And we have very deep and profound conversations about the porn industry. And we're gonna have them coming through our church to talk about it. But they talk about how evil and dark and satanic it felt even before they were a Christian. I mean, go to the Monday night recovery. We had this whole church filled with men on Wednesday. And we told them, we need some of you who have been in recovery from some years to join uh, Chris, who's leading the recovery group, and tell your story about how long you've been. But I'm telling you, there's people who don't even know Christ, who they're, they're getting into these situations, and they feel this dark, ominous, foreboding presence, and they know I've opened the door. I had somebody working out of my house last week, and I told the story, he stole $160 from my cash app while he had my hand, my phone in his hand. And uh, I found out later that night, I knew it was addiction because that's how addicts act. I reached out to that guy and I said, I'm gonna tell you right now. I said, you may have stole this money from me, but I know you're an addict because only addicts do things like that. And I said, the problem is you stole that money from Papa Six. And I, do, I cast demons out all over the world. And there's a demon that is actually caused, yes, it's biological. We're gonna deal with the biological, but it's spiritual. You know what he told me? He said, last year I did some time on Rikers Island. Ever since I left Rikers Island, he said, something lives with me. I got chills. He said, something lives with me. Now, what if I would have told him the false American gospel? Hey, I know you stole from me. I just want to let you know Jesus loves you. Everything's okay. Come here. I know you're struggling. Give me a hug. That would have actually been the least compassionate thing I could do. So you know what I told him? Keep the money. I don't want the money back because he was like, I'll do it in payment plans. I'll do whatever I can. I said, keep the money. I said, but here's what I want you to do. Give me an opportunity to introduce you to the real Jesus. Because when you meet the real Jesus, he'll take that addiction and replace it with an addiction for worship, an addiction for the word, an addiction for prayer, an addiction. Come on, he'll trade an addiction. And I said, then let me cast that demon from Rikers Island right up out of you, son. So what am I talking about today? I am Daniel in Babylon. And when a Babylonian comes to work in my house, they're going to meet my God. You are a Daniel in Babylon. Take a stand. You are a Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Take a stand. Take a stand. Take a stand. There's a line of despair that started in the 1920s. And it was a philosophical shift in the way that people think. And it started in Europe, in France. And we have always been half a generation away from the line of despair concerning the, the prominent thought in France and the United Kingdom. When I preached that message I preached last week and that professor got fired from a Christian college for the same thing that I preached from this stage, I said, we are just a few years away here in America. It's coming. And many of you will be haunted by the words that I say now. 
because God gave you chance. There's temporary consequences, there's permanent. There comes a time when you can't make the decision anymore. It's already been made. So the question I'm asking is if you wanna be an atheist, please leave this church and be an atheist and be the best atheist you can be, but stop being an atheistic Christian. If you wanna support LGBTQ+, please devote your entire life to parades and products and businesses and go all the way in and do whatever you think loving that community is because I truly believe that I'm doing the most loving thing for that community I can. Because I'm telling them the truth of who they are and where they came from. And guess what? Your pastor believes the whole Bible. I believe in heaven and I believe in hell. I believe in the Apostles' Creed that was established 2,000 years ago when the early church was getting up off the ground. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I believe it with every fiber of my being. And when I close my eyes, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And I will stand face to face with him. And I will look him in the eyes. And I'm living my entire life not to get the approval of a community. But I am living my entire life to hear one phrase welcome good and faithful servant that's it that's it that's it that's it I'm living my life for one message one word that's all I want to hear welcome good and faithful servant is there anybody else